This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. One of the things that's amazing about Girls With Guts is we have these in-person retreats. We had to pause them during the COVID pandemic, but we've recently returned back to them. And when you enter a room where every other person in that room is a woman that has IBD and an ostomy, and you're no longer the only sick person in the room, that in and of itself is amazing. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast. I'm your host, Dr. Fred Rosenberg. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jenny Harrison, who is the Director of Communications of Girls With Guts, a nonprofit organization that supports and empowers women with inflammatory bowel disease and ostomies. Girls With Guts wants to give all women with inflammatory bowel disease the strength to find their confidence and keep it despite having inflammatory bowel disease or an ostomy. I'm excited to speak with Jenny about her work to establish a national support network that assists women in their search for community, acceptance, and empowerment. Jenny, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Rosenberg. Um, It's a pleasure to meet you. We're we're glad to have you. Uh, We always like to start the podcast by getting to know our guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience with Crohn's disease, and how you became involved with Girls With Guts. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease about 30 years ago when I was nine years old. As someone who was diagnosed in the age before biologics, the disease I had was able to advance fairly quickly. So I had severe Crohn's disease by the time I was 13 years old. Throughout my adolescence, when biologics were invented, I was able to start those. They were very helpful until they also failed me. And at the age of 23, I consented to a proctocolectomy. I had to have my rectum, anus, and colon removed because I had very severe perianal disease, and I had fistulizing Crohn's, and I had rectovaginal fistulas. So as a result of those experiences, my surgeon and physician at the time had said, you know, we really have to do an endoleostomy. It's a permanent surgery. But if we don't do it, your life is becoming in danger um, due to bowel wall thinning and narrowing that placed me at risk of perforation, as well as having um, abscess and fistulae that are infections. So I consented to surgery. I had surgery. When I had my surgery, my dad had had a colostomy bag for about a decade before I consented. And his experience with his colostomy was one full of shame. He had a really hard time with his ostomy. So I really didn't want that outcome for myself. So I tried to get connected with resources like the UOAA. Unfortunately, the internet was just beginning to really take off. So there wasn't the strength of online communities at the time. Um, but I was able to connect the local support group and I learned to live a really great life with my ostomy. And it brought me to my first ever Crohn's remission. So I was in remission with my Crohn's and I came out of remission. The disease I happen to have has been very refractory. So when I came out of remission, um, we tried multiple medications, all of them failed. I ended up developing abscess, small bowel fistulae. Um, I started having strictures, uh, fibrosis, and eventually I had to consent to surgery again. So I had a second surgery um, and I woke up with a high output 
ileostomy um, on the cusp of short bowel syndrome. The Crohn's was in remission, but I was unable to gain weight. I was reliant on a central line for hydration. I was incredibly depressed. I had fully expected to have surgery, wake up, be healthy again, and get my life back. And I felt like the surgery, while successful, also disabled me. And I had spent my entire life trying so hard to avoid disability. When I realized I had no choice but to apply for disability to help get my needs met, I entered a pretty severe depression. And I went online and I started Googling and I found Girls With Guts. So that's what led me to Girls With Guts um, was that moment of despair. Um, and from that despair, um, great, amazing things have happened in my life. And I wish I had found them decades earlier that they had existed. Jenny, that's quite a, a medical history you presented. I, I'm interested, at the time of your initial diagnosis, you were nine years old. Um, body functions for a nine-year-old are not something you want to talk about with anybody. Yeah. Was it easier having the, the disease already known to you in your family? And what was that like? I think it was easier for me because I always knew Crohn's disease existed. I think it was harder on my parents. I know my dad carried a lot of guilt um, that I too had Crohn's. Um, and I think that for him, that remained something he continued to struggle with throughout his life. I think the other part of having a young diagnosis is that I had to confront my own mortality in ways that other children and adolescents don't have to. And while they were doing things like preparing for high school, having these great milestones, I was doing things like having exclusive enteral nutrition. I was doing things like having colonoscopies. I was doing things that weren't relatable. And that I think was the hard part for me. Over the years of my practice, I've come to recognize that patients with inflammatory bowel disease, especially early in their disease process, feel very isolated and alone as they begin to deal with their new symptoms and treatments. Um, what was it like for you as a as an adolescent um, going through all those changes and trying to bring your disease under control? I think that's a really great observation you made because it's so very true. And as an adolescent, I honestly decompensated. I w at the time, in early adolescence, before biologics, I was on high-dose steroids going through puberty. So I had significant mood swings. I really struggled with anger. I didn't have a lot of ability to place the anger on the disease or on the medication side effects. So that was really hard for me. I think that the other piece of it with isolation is that when you have an illness that causes severe fatigue, it causes you to have to spend hours in the bathroom sometimes, it causes you to have to miss things for things like infusion appointments or things like that, it's isolating in those ways too. So even if you may want to go out and do something, even if you want to say play a sport in high school or you want to do these things you can't always due to the either symptoms of the disease 
or the treatments for the disease. And I think that's pretty universal depending on, you know, your stage of development, that isolation comes hand in hand with having a chronic illness. Yeah. You know, the internet has been terrific in so many ways and and, and allowing us to, to find um, people around the world uh, and in our community with similar issues and problems has been one of the great um, great things that the internet has brought. And obviously you found Girls With Guts. Well, tell us about that experience. Before Girls With Guts, I had connected with the United Ostomy Association of America. And I had found that they had a young person forum, and that was very helpful. Um, outside of that, I didn't really have those connections. And that time in my life was in my 20s. In my adolescence, I lived in rural Vermont, so there wasn't even a local chapter of, say, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. I had a father on disability. We lived in poverty. So the nearest chapter of the CCFA at the time, we're looking at Burlington or we're looking at Boston, and that was not an accessible thing for me. I knew they existed, but connecting before the internet was very hard. After I had surgery, I did connect with the CCF a little bit. Their online programming was not as strong then as it is today. And then I entered that period of remission. And even though through my dad's experiences, through knowing about the disease, on some level, I was able to put it behind me. I really had believed that that remission was gonna last. I had allowed myself to believe that I wasn't gonna get sick again. And that's why it was so depressing and so hard for me to not only get sick again, but to have history repeat with medication and treatment failures, and then to have surgery with the expectations that I did. It really opened up, you know, and when I was looking for support, you know, I was able to connect with the CCF again a little bit, um, as well as some other organizations. Um, but Girls With Guts really hit me being female-centered. Well, tell us a little bit about the work of Girls With Guts and, and what it does specifically to help women know they're not alone and not feel so isolated and, and deal with their disease. One of the things that's amazing about Girls With Guts is we have these in-person retreats. We had to pause them during the COVID pandemic, but we've recently returned back to them. And when you enter a room where every other person in that room is a woman that has IBD and an ostomy, and you're no longer the only sick person in the room, that in and of itself is amazing. So we have these in-person retreats. We also have online and virtual programming. So if somebody say can't travel, um, one of the things that I am very proud of is that we've had virtual events where people in hospital rooms were able to attend. And where are you more isolated than when you're in the hospital, right? So being able to have virtual connections, whether they be uh, craft renewal sessions that have nothing to do really with IBD or ostomy, just a time to maybe do a coloring book page, if you have another craft you enjoy doing, and just talk. Those connections are amazing because you become, begin to make friends. So then when it's 11 o'clock at night and you're in pain and you're feeling just so despondent, you can pick up your phone and text somebody. So that's amazing. And then we also have an online private forum that has over 7,000 women 
from all over this country as well as some other countries. And if you go into that forum, there's going to be somebody else who's awake at that same time. And you can ask questions, you can engage there. So we have those things. And then we also have programming um, like Love Your Guts Mail, which is a one-time mailing of just support and encouragement. We have women who write letters and cards and send stickers and things like that. I love that idea of the private forum. You know, as physicians, um, sometimes it's frustrating to us that um, patients with all chronic diseases, including inflammatory bowel disease, they sort of suffer in silence. And as their disease slowly worsens, they maybe don't even recognize that it's worsening. And, um, you know, they don't want to call the doctor. They don't want to go to the emergency room. And ultimately, the, they wind up in the emergency room with a fairly active disease. And, and you know, it's the, uh, on the physician side, we always say, why did you wait so long? And you know, I, I think having a, a private forum where you can talk to someone who's possibly going through exactly the same thing as you um, lets you know that something is changing and maybe it is time to seek an intervention. So I, I think that's great. Um, how can GI practices uh, participate in this? And what, from your perspective, what can they do to improve um, the care that, that we all provide for our patients with inflammatory bowel disease? Well, I think one of the things is exactly what you're doing, to be honest, which is taking the time to volunteer, to share information, um, or to um, provide education to other individuals. So I think that's important. I think one of the things I have found to be significantly important as well is the language that physicians use. So every time I had a med that failed me, I was told that I failed the med. And placing blame on the patient when we know it's a failing of the treatment, not the patient, I can take it every day as prescribed, doesn't mean it's gonna work correctly in my body, right? So, um, and I think a lot of women I talk with, you know, will say that, I hear that language all the time, I failed this, I, no, you didn't fail anything, right? Like, you're doing the best you can. So, I think language is important. And then I, and then I think the other piece of it is taking the time to make sure that your patients really understand. And unfortunately, in today's world with billing and appointment times, it's really hard to find that time. But you know, I had a doctor this week actually, we were talking about how I may need combination therapy. And I was kind of questioning why we were gonna do this and I was kind of on the fence about it. And he took the time to draw for me on his whiteboard what the medication I'm on does, how it impacts things, and how the other medication would work with it. Taking that time so I really understood and could make an informed choice was very empowering for me. We want to know about our disease. We want to know about the meds we take. So providing that education and checking for understanding, I think, is huge. And then the last piece for me is always, um, I have worked really hard to only see doctors who put me at the center of my care team. I live in this body every single day. I am the expert at what this body does because I've had to learn how to be. Yeah, and, and I think that, that many, hopefully most physicians, um, feel as you do that 
you know, we want our patients to be engaged and understand their disease because, as you say, you're with it every day and we only drop in when you contact us. And, you know, an educated patient is, helps, helps them for sure and certainly helps us take care of them. What are the resources that Girls With Guts can provide? So we have many resources. You know, we've been really working on developing those. We have a bunch of educational resources on our website. Um, many of them are medically reviewed. We're going to be releasing more of those coming up in November. But we also have programs like our butt basket program, which is infusion kits and post-op care packs. So what these are, what we learned is after, say, I had ostomy surgery, I was placed in a, in a clear one-piece bag, right, and sent on my way. And then on my own, I did a bunch of research and I learned about things like belly wraps. I learned about things like silicon packets I can put in my bag to get my output a little bit um, firmer so I can sleep better through the night, right? I learned about all these new products. So we put all of those things that we learned about into a kit and we mail it. Um, they are free. We open and close the application depending on availability. So we do have, we are a nonprofit that, that works very hard to get funding. So we, they're not unlimited, but um, if you check uh, the website, it, the link's open, you can nominate yourself or somebody else. We also tailor the kits. So if you are applying for a post-op care pack, if you're gonna have a J pouch or an ostomy, you're gonna get different products based upon your need. And then for infusions, you know, some of these infusions take hours. So in those kits, we're t you know, it's just, it's, it's a virtual, it's a hug. It's not, not even virtual, it's a hug of supplies. So it's comfy socks, um, a great book to read. Um, sometimes we put blankets in. So it really depends on those kinds of things. And uh, they um, they really make a difference. I, I, I really love that program, to be honest. <laughs> I, I noticed you have a, a, something called the poop program. Yes. <laughs> tell us about that. So that's philanthropic ostomy outreach program. And so ostomy supplies are really expensive. <laughs> and a lot of individuals in our community have J pouches or they've had temporary ostomies for a variety of reasons, or they might be in one product and find it's not working for them and switch products. And then they have all these leftover supplies they can no longer use. So we've partnered with two other organizations, Friends of Ostomates Worldwide, as well as Kindred Box, and you can mail them to these organizations. Then they can place them with other individuals who need them, who may not have health insurance. They may be living in a country without access. They may be in a natural disaster area, um, but they'll get them to people in need. So instead of us throwing away supplies we're never gonna use, they find a place um, in, with somebody else who really needs them and can't otherwise have them. What advice would you give to young people who have inflammatory bowel disease? The number one thing for me is find your community. So if you're an adult woman, come connect with us. If you're a young man, look into the CCF. They've got some great support groups these days. There are support groups for all demographics. You can find them. You don't have to do this alone. And that's incredibly empowering and huge. I think the second piece is to learn and to never stop learning. 
for me, 15 years ago when I had ostomy surgery, we didn't have the same amount of products we have today. If I had thought I was an expert a year after surgery, I wouldn't use and have a better quality of life today because of using new products that have come out. Also in medicine, there's new medications being developed all the time. I sometimes say that this is a great time to have IBD if you're going to have IBD because we have so many new medicines and so many medicines right in the pipeline ready to come out. These are amazing things. And if you keep learning, um, you'll be able to talk with your doctor, ask questions, see if it's appropriate. And then the final piece of advice is to remember they, meaning your doctors, are not going to leave you this way. So one of the things that it's very easy to feel depressed. When I had uh, perianal fistulae, I was in a very rough place and I thought that I was gonna always have these fistulae and they were incredibly demoralizing. And I was talking to my dad like, I can't live like this dad, like I can't do this. And he's like, Jen, your doctors want you to get better too. They're gonna help you find a solution. They're not gonna leave you this way. The solution may not be what you had in mind, but they don't want you this sick either. And no, and that advice just has always stuck with me. I know, based on what you said, you know, you don't want your patients to be sick. You don't want them to wait to go to the ER. You want them to ask for help. And um, that piece of advice from my dad has served me very well. I think it's a very, a very powerful message. Do you have a program where you um, do outreach to physician practices so that um, we can provide uh, girls with guts as a resource for our patients, you know, early on. So we can send brochures and information um, to offices. One of the programs we're starting to work on with our develop director of development is an IBD ambassador program, where we would, you know, partner with physicians to offer them educational resources, things like that, that we offer. So we're beginning to work on those partnerships now um, because I think it's really important that at diagnosis, you know, you can find out about all of the support options that are available. And part of that is us getting the information into the right hands. Uh, can you give our listeners uh, information about how they can find out and learn more about Girls With Guts, its programs and events? Yes, so you can go to girlswithguts.org, which is our website, or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at IBD Girls. That's great, that's great. Jenny, we really enjoyed having you here. I think you provided a lot of very helpful information for our patients. Um, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us on Gastro Broadcast. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk with you today. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.